This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elk Shape Podcast, number 30 with me, Dan the Fitness Man, bringing on another Washingtonian. Today we're talking to Spencer Tripp. What's up, Spencer? Oh, not much, man. Just uh, enjoying some sun from the other side of the state here. Yeah, that's right, man. Hi. I, uh, you live, what, outside of Seattle? Yeah, I'm, uh, north of there a bit, so I'm up, uh, in Linden, Washington, technically, so about five miles off the coast and about five miles south of the border, so. Okay. The, uh, the northwest corner. You're nowhere near Seattle, in my mind. You're, like, by, like, how far is no. Bellingham from you? We're, like, like, 15 minutes north of Bellingham. Okay. Okay, Cool. Yep. So you yep. are used so quite to, a ways from Seattle. So you like the rain because you get it all the time. I'm I'm getting used to it. I'm not I'm not from here. I've lived here a while, but uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a Michigan native. But you know, I don't mind the uh, I don't mind the mild winters. Um, if you don't mind the rain, it's not too bad. Yeah. It's not freezing cold. It's not freezing cold in a covered uh, covered in a sheet of ice like Northern Michigan, where I grew up. Well, Northern Michigan. Man, there's there's a lot of hunters that come out of northern Michigan. So we're going to get to know you. Um, people might know you from this little company you started over a year ago called Off Grid Food Co. Dude, we're going to get into that. But I gotta, I feel like i got to tell my, uh, my listeners, hey, hold on a second. I brought on Heather Kelly from Heather's Choice. I have no sponsorship there. And I'm bringing you on right now, and I got no sponsorship deal with you. I'm just a guy who, like, is looking to figure out what is the best food choices for me during my elk hunts. I like that you're from Washington, and I had seen some pictures on the socials of your guys' stuff, and somehow we got connected, and I'm just like, let's, you know, let's just get to know each other uh, over a podcast and talk about nutrition and food and, and your hunting background and make this worthwhile for people to listen to. So give us the background, Northern Michigan, man. Tell us uh, how you got into hunting. Yeah, so um, grew up in a little uh, northwest Michigan town called Traverse City. 
and uh, just kind of like like most of us, you know, my dad's a big outdoorsman, mostly a big uh, fisherman, but he's a big upland bird hunter as well, and was uh, you know once long ago uh, an, an elk uh, an elk hunter as well um, before he moved back to Michigan. But um, so yeah, kind of you know grew up hunting and fishing with my dad in Michigan, and always kind of had that you know, attachment to the outdoors and, uh, you know, Michigan's a, a cool place that you were just mentioning. There's a lot of guys that move out West from there. I think they get a, you know, a good taste of, um, you know, having a lot of access to the outdoors and just want, uh, bigger and better. So, you know, I kind of knew I was going to move out West right after high school and, um, had a couple of buddies, you know, I was big and, uh, grew up, uh, ski racing as well. So okay. I always grew up, uh, Skiing was a big passion of mine as well, still is. Um, and I had a buddy that had moved out um, here to the Bellingham area and, uh, you know, basically for uh, skiing deep snow at Mount Baker. So yeah. that's kind of how I ended up out here. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, been a lot of fun since. And um, went to school here for a few years and then ended up uh, moving to Colorado. Oh, with, uh, where? Yeah. To, to Gunnison. So I finished at Western State, little uh, little state college, which is actually now a university. Okay. Um, I can't remember the technical name now, but it was Western uh, State College of Colorado when I, when I was there. Um, so my girlfriend and I moved there to finish school, um, who's now my wife. Um, and we were there and then bounced around a little bit um, from, you know, that's kind of really where I got the, the big game bug and got into big game hunting was in, uh, in the Gunnison area there. Yes. Um, kind of got thrown into the, uh, you know, a classic Mecca of, of, uh, elk and mule deer and, you know, all sorts of good stuff. So it's just, it's beautiful country and there's a lot of, a lot of critters running around in that area. So that was a, you know, good exposure and, and, uh, you know, got dragged out on a couple of hunts and, you know, got, uh, got bit by the bug. So it's kind of been a, been a fun ride ever since then. So we bounced around after Gunnison for a little bit. We spent two years in Texas working and then, uh, back in the Denver area for a little while. And then, uh, we were expecting baby number two and got the, uh, you know, drive to move, uh, back closer to some family. So we came back out here to Bellingham where my wife is from. Oh, so. Okay. I gotcha. So yep. when you were in so, Gunnison, did you ski like uh, Crested Butte? Yep, Crested Butte. So, and I grew up uh, skiing there as a kid. So that's oh, kind of okay. how I ended up there. Both my parents went to Western State. Actually, that's where they met. And I got a aunt and uncle and some cousins that still live there and grew up there. So that's kind of been a a family stronghold for uh, for quite some time. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up over there. This girlfriend becomes your wife. You guys got kids? Yeah, we got two uh, crazy little boys that are three and five. So Okay, so you got your hands full. What's their names? Uh, Jackson and Baker. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Actually, funny enough, it's my wife's uh, it's my wife's mom's maiden name. Really? Yep. So Even better. It's, uh, yeah, the double uh, the double uh, double whammy there. Dude, that's cool. Is there's some other good ski hills by Crested Butte? What else is there over there? I mean Aspen, but what else? Yeah, Aspen's uh, really close as a crow flies. Um, I think it's like only like 20 miles as a crow flies. Okay. And then you've got uh, you know down in the southwest where you've got Telluride, and then you've got Durango, which has got you know uh, kind of the 
notorious Silverton Mountain and then a couple other small ones around it. So, yeah, there's a lot of good skiing over there. Was it a good uh, snow year for you guys? Yeah, we had yeah we had a couple good snow years there. It was actually it wasn't um, my brother was there the year I think it was oh eight oh seven oh eight when they had the really bad you know they had a, had an awesome ski season and a horrible winter kill yeah um, which which that whole area would have been recovering from for a while but yeah it was it was decent but you know that was kind of when um, yeah the shift kind of went from skiing to chasing these big critters around in the in the woods so. Did you get yourself? Um, I you, have you there. hunted the like the Gunnison Basin area? Have you been in there? Yeah, not not for mule deer, just uh, yeah, just over the counter elk stuff. Mostly rifle when I was there. Took a couple cows out of there, but um, yeah, mostly just mostly rifle stuff there. And then um, quickly got into archery after that, and that's pretty much you know might might take a rifle out during bear season a little bit, but love archery, elk hunting, and, and chasing deer. So. Yeah, once it gets in your blood, I mean, it's there, especially big. Game. Yeah, it's so then it's addictive. You guys ended up in um, the west side. We'll call it the north northwest corner of Washington. You're damn near Canada, although you don't yeah. sound Canadian at all. But you uh, you got into guiding a little bit. Tell us about that. Yeah, I just did. I did one season out here right when we moved back. Just kind of took a random opportunity and um, kind of got a whole. Uh, whole world of exposure to to roosevelt elk over here guided on the west side um so we, we were guiding for roosevelt elk and and blacktail and um did a couple bear trips um but yeah it was a lot of fun and spent the whole fall out in the woods and um it was just a it was a blast learned a lot and um yeah just kind of kind of set the set the seed even further that you know this is stuff i love to do and kind of changed after that to you know i've helped out on a bunch of hunts in the gunnison area just because a lot of that stuff um can be pretty high-end draw stuff as far as mule deer go and whatnot and then um yeah so it's uh it's been fun now kind of getting getting into uh having a bunch of my own tags and planning a lot more hunts than i was able to in the past and it's been a blast definitely so you are a washington resident um people who listen to this that don't live in washington which is most of people are gonna realize that oh yeah none of the people really cover washington as a place to hunt out west so like go hunt doesn't yeah. even, does not cover washington hunt and full magazine rarely will cover it they'll just say and the reason why is because washington's lame ass rule that you have to buy the license and tag to put in for their draws so if you want to hunt a trophy elk area east or west side of washington you have you're going to get stuck with a tag and yeah. another downfall is there's a crap load of hunters because of that whole Seattle metropolitan area. There's just a lot of human beings near the Cascades. And you also sandwich in that you have to choose a weapon in Washington, although they claim that they have a multi-season elk tag, but I've never even – I don't know anyone who's ever had it. They hand out just a few of those. So yeah. do you My hunt? I actually had one last year. See, oh, <laughs> so you know one person. So they One do. person. <laughs> do you hunt this state? Uh, I'm going to this year just because I don't think I'm going to have a whole lot of time to, to come over, uh, go run over to Idaho or down to Colorado. I didn't draw any Colorado tag this year, which I was kind of maybe planning on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to hunt, uh, hunt Rosie's over here on the West side in September and, uh, kind of on a mission to, to kill a, kill a Rosie bull myself. I got a, yeah. shot a gigantic cow last year on the second day of the season. Oh, heck um, yeah. 
Yeah, which was which was awesome and uh, super super tasty and just g- a giant body, unbelievably sized cow. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna go back for uh, we're gonna go do that again and hopefully uh, hopefully get a couple bulls down and then uh, yeah obviously we got you know we got bear season about to start up here in just a couple of weeks too so we've got some you know awesome bear hunting country up up here by where we are so we'll uh, definitely get a couple of trips up up here out before elk season kicks off too definitely want to tell everybody hey come get a bear tag in washington we have way too many way way too many you cannot bait you cannot run hounds they are everywhere i I don't even know the number i haven't looked it up recently but i know we rival just about any other state as far as bear population and there's some pretty good hunts that open up august 1st so people are like thinking about man i really like to get a hunt in before september that would be the one hit Go to the Cascades, find a unit or an area that's got open up August 1st. Go backpack in and find those huckleberries up high, and you'll be in business. Exactly. Are you guys killing berry bears? Yeah, and berry bears up there. And we've got a, you know, we've got a cool mix of a lot of, you know, there's, there's a, you know, logging country that kind of feeds right up into some of the high country here. And then we've just got, you know, beautiful high country a little further back in that's just, you know, riddled with with high mountain berries and you know bears just yeah like you said <laughs> come on over they're everywhere um now i'm gonna uh, sound yeah, they, ridiculous i'm gonna ask you some dumb questions and i'm gonna preface it with i plan on eventually eventually one of these years buckling down and driving over to the coasties and killing myself a roosevelt in washington and spending 40 dollars on an elk tag and love Heck yeah. But so where you're at, <laughs> I got to ask some dumb questions. Do you guys kind of have to head south to go after Rosie's or do you have them in your exactly. area? Exactly. We do, but um, I'm up here um, in, uh, yeah, in the north part of the state. And it's a pretty, we I think technically up here, most of the elk are classified as the like Cascade Rosie's or whatnot. Um, but there is a pretty high end draw unit up here for for all all weapons that's right in our backyard and there's some you know the herd's not huge but there's a there's some big bulls lurking around over here but yeah we typically have to yeah run run quite a bit south okay um and a lot of that you know is uh kind of just base camp uh hunting logging country and whatnot but it's a it's a lot of fun it's kind of (laughs) kind of run and gun and there's a lot of elk down there and it's um it's a blast man so all right i'm gonna ask some more dumb questions and then if i'm getting too personal you can tell me to shut up because i won't take offense i'm, I'm really <laughs> no, pretty ignorant to washington i know i know the east side so i'm learning i'm only learning so you, I'll, i'm I'll assuming you cannot hunt in the olympic national park is that correct i don't believe so okay. i would assume not I, but, I don't know though. But I know I don't know if there's any special exceptions or anything like that. You can hunt the Olympic National Forest. Yes. Okay. And then there is some really good logging country over there, right? Yep. Yep. And there's some big old bears over there. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Because um, where I hunt in Idaho, it's a mix of logging, but uh, there's a lot of backcountry, and I've hunted both, and I've killed bulls in logging country. And I uh-huh. hunt bears primarily in logging country, but yeah. I prefer to hunt timber bulls, and that's where I usually end up. But and then there's a big Indian reservation over there that kind of people can pay to hunt there, but they have rosies as well. And I don't rem- it starts with a Q. I don't remember the name of that one. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, uh yeah, but Quinn. It's like Quinn something. 
I'm going to look it up if I yeah. have to. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a Quinault reservation. You can't hunt there. Uh-huh. That's yeah. what it is. I had to look it up. Um, and then there's, there's basically Rosie's all south of the Olympic National Forest all the way through into Oregon. Yep, all the way down, uh, yeah, down into Oregon. Okay. Okay. That's pretty much what I was assuming. And then the season. Then I guess, yeah, the technical classification is to be a true Roosevelt, you got to, you know, we're in the streets, you got to be west of I-5. Right. And I-5 runs north and south from Portland to Seattle. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you got to head west of that, and then you're hunting a true Rosie, which – I mean, there's a significant difference. Uh, that, that Cascade Rosie is definitely, to me, reminds me of a Rocky Mountain elk most times. Yeah, most times. yeah, for sure. They've got that, you know, they got the access up to that high country type terrain, and it's just more, you know, more open, and that's, yeah, they definitely got that vibe to them. Yeah. So, but in Oregon, you can count on them opening up for elk like the last Saturday in August every year. So sometimes it's the 25th or the 26th. Whereas in Washington, yeah. it's kind of a – it's a little bit of a I know. a guessing game. But, like, <laughs> I think this year it opens the 8th of September. Is, so it, is it that early this don't year? Don't quote me. I don't even – I don't – like I said, I have I tags, even, but I, I don't even – I looked yet. I don't even care. But anyways, I, something I'm like not, that. Yeah. And I know it's only like a 12-day season, give or take yeah, a day. Short, short. short season during uh, September. But you do get a, you do get a pretty – you do get another couple weeks late season. Um, at least on the west side, and most of those, and yeah. most of those, and most of those units, which is a nice, you know, nice, you know, another opportunity to go out there and yeah. And I'm always out late season. I'm hunting deer and elk at the same time in an area that has both deer and elk, which, uh-huh. is, which yeah. is cool. But I do. I mean, one of these years, I'm going to head over there. I might have to pick your brain on some good yeah. general areas. But is it a lot of like Oregon? What I'm thinking, like gates, logging, like permits. Exactly. Pay yeah. to play. Um, some of it, you know, I haven't bought a permit down there. A lot of the warehouser stuff's permit access only, but there's a lot of other stuff down there that, you know, a lot of it can be, they can be closed, like, you know, closed for fire danger, or sometimes, you know, it's closed during archery and they'll sometimes open them during rifle. Um, just kind of depends on, you know, who's managing those units in that um, area or whatever. But yeah, a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it's using the logging roads and, um, sometimes take, you know, mountain bikes, um, whatever, a lot just on, you know, a lot of it just on foot. Um, and then just, yeah, beating the roads and, and seeing who's there. So did you hear a lot of bugles last year when you were out? Yeah, we did. Um, we had a good, we had a good season. We, uh, well, not good in some aspects. We, we stuck to bulls and actually never recovered either of them, um, but uh, and then I stuck. A, I got a cow on the second to last day of season. But uh, a couple of our hunting parties, we had a good season. Yeah, they, they were super active down there. We got a lot of, a lot of, lot of bulls fired up and and coming in, and then you know had some poor execution, and then uh, you know sometimes it's how it goes. It's super thick country, and um, you know how that goes. Being over where you're at, it's pretty pretty thick over there as well. So got a you know br- a lot of brush and lots of uh lots of small shooting lanes and stuff to get in the way that's for sure yeah i mean i hate the brush i love the brush i think the elk are more vocal when there's more brush you can have better collins but you will lose your mind when you have slobbering bulls and you can't get 
your bow's pulled back and there's no shot. And then you're uh-huh. always trying to thread the needle and, and that's where you can end up deflecting or wounding an elk and things like that. Now, the guys that wounded bulls, let's go over just a couple of poor practices and learn from mistakes. Are we talking poor shot selection? Are we talking um, the animal knowing of your presence when you shot? We're just talking about just a bad shot. I mean, what's the, what do you think the learning lessons were? Yeah, you know, I didn't personally see the contact or anything on either of them, but, you know, one of them was a super, you know, he, my, my buddy shot from down in this little bottom and, you know, the, the bull was coming downhill. So he had a pretty steep angle up and I don't think, you know, just for whatever reason, whether he didn't settle on the right spot or didn't picture where his exit was going to come out in regards to where his, you know, entry was going to be, um, I think was probably the problem on that one and just, you know, clipped, clipped one long high and up out the top and the back. And, you know, he took off and ran through the Creek a bunch of different times. And we just eventually, we eventually lost him and could never get back on it and spent a few days searching. And then, uh, kind of same, same kind of deal with the second one too. So, well, I mean, was, uh, elk yeah, are tough. A couple of days. It is definitely, they are. Elk sure. are really tough. Now, did you guys give the elk an hour, two hours, no hours what was that protocol yeah at least you know on the first one i think it was an hour and a half because he kind of had an idea that you know it it was a high higher shot and from that angle so we gave that one a little bit more time and then kind of started looking and then yeah usually you know at least an hour and then you know i always kind of go off that at least an hour and if you're even somewhat questionable off of a shot maybe give it maybe give it a couple of hours um, depending on the conditions and where you're at and what that, but I mean, you can typically in, in Western Washington, you could give them a couple of hours and they're going to be in the shade. It's probably going to be decently cool for the most part where they want to go lie down. So it's typically a pretty, you know, safe call to, to give them some extra time and whatnot. So we felt like we did everything kind of right. And, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, maybe I think one of those bulls may or may not have lived to see another day. And I think the other one just had enough gas left in the tank to, to get somewhere where we just never ended up getting to, or couldn't, couldn't find the trail to So did you guys find either of the arrows that were shot? Yeah. And both looked, you know, both, both looked decently good with at least a little bit of lung blood. One had some that looked a little livery too. So, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You get that high and back and, there still takes a long time for that to fill up and start draining. So yeah, definitely. So I guess we'll talk about your bow hunting prowess. Um, how long have you been shooting a bow, and what are some of the bumps in the road along the way learning that craft? Yeah, for sure. No, I'm. Uh, I would say I'm still new to uh, the world of archery. Um, been shooting a bow four or five years now, going five. Um, and yeah, kind of. Uh, you know just kind of didn't have anyone to teach me and just kind of picked up a bow, always kind of had talked about it. And a couple of buddies that lived back in Colorado always talked about it. And then kind of finally one day just said, it's time. <laughs> and I went down to the archery shop and shot every bow they had and probably drove those guys crazy asking all sorts of questions and, and trying to kind of learn about it and came home uh, with a, empty wallet and a big smile on my face yeah so it's kind of been yeah it's been super fun ever since and kind of the point now where i'm you know nerding out and trying to 
work on my own bows and setting them all up myself and trying to get more into the tuning side of things and just kind of getting getting more dialed in but um yeah it was a lot of fun you know i uh, struggled a lot of years with a rifle in hand to get tags filled whether it's you know uh, for whatever the case may be and kind of picked up a bow and probably lowered my standards a little bit just because i felt like i was challenging myself a little bit more but you know pretty much had a full freezer ever since so it's been a lot of fun man that's so cool and it's we're gonna get into food because you you know you're a foodie you're the guy out there making this food for us backcountry hunters and um everybody's backcountry is a little different but i think we all can relate yeah. to you cannot sustain off bars alone uh in the backcountry or elk hunting it's something about a hearty meal when you get into camp or when you just pull up and that's your camp for the night and you make that hot meal uh you just yep. go to, you're just gonna go to bed faster and i think morale's i mean food can change your mood so we're going to talk about food nutrition and performance and uh, I'm going to ask you some questions that we're going to kind of get going on this deal. So you sent me sure. um, a handful of things to look at. Truthfully, I decided I'm just going to save them for when I go hunting and I have a very exciting. That's cool too. Yeah, I got a very exciting <laughs> hunting season ahead. Sweet. And um, they'll, they'll get used. In fact, you sent me enough for like maybe three or four days because I, awesome. I burn a lot of cows. Uh, but we're going to first talk about the breakfast that I have in my hand here and I pulled them out so I could like be smart and like talk knowledge. So the first one's called yeah. great names by the way, but the name of your company is off grid food co. The first one is predator fuel oatmeal. And we have two different flavors that I see right here. I got blue Raz and strawberry mango. I flip it over and I see that it, I have a, I know the date it was produced on, which was a few days ago. And I know that I need to use yep. <laughs> it by a year. And I wanted to uh -huh. bring that up right out the gates because there was a point in time where I was working with Mountain House a little bit on some marketing and things like that. And I asked okay. them cool. directly, I have a box of your guys' food from last year. What's the expiration date? I'll just summarize it by them basically saying it does not expire. That uh -huh. is not good for human beings to eat food that does not expire, period. End of story. So that was the very first thing yeah. was I was ecstatic to see an expiration date of a year. <laughs> How did you guys come about knowing your food was going to expire? Um, it's just, you know, we kind of make it all in, in small enough batches where, you know, we can, we can kind of track in what goes into it of what expires when. So, as we kind of, you know, use things for a batch, we know what the kind of minimum expiration date is for stuff to be able to go into a batch like that. And that's just kind of the quickest expiring ingredient in any one of those breakfasts is, you know, about a year um, shelf life. So that's kind of how we we derive that uh, that expiration date. Okay. So in this breakfast, the ingredients are gluten-free oats. Thank God, because I'm allergic to gluten. I'm joking, but there are people that are, and that's fine. My my, yep. little, my nephews are, and I make fun of them all the time um, because when I was growing up, there was no such thing as allergic to gluten, but I get it, honestly. I get gluten is not the greatest thing, and it is a protein, and we can talk about that in a second. But you have, yep. So when you're reading ingredients for the listeners, whatever's listed first is what's mostly in there, and as you go down the list – it's less and less that's actually in there. So the next thing was all natural almonds. 
So that means that there's no, they're just not, they're not salted. They're just raw. No, they're just, they're just roasted. Oh, yeah. they are just roasted, but there's no well, they're, salt. They're, yeah, they're just, there's nothing on them. They're just, uh, they're just raw almonds that we get. And we just lightly toast them and then just kind of chop them up and throw them in there. Shredded coconut, grass-fed whey protein powder. Now, I'm, obviously, you guys probably source that out. Yep. Yeah, okay. we don't make that, obviously, but um, we, we get it in bulk, and, you know, it's a good, super clean, um, as it says, grass-fed uh, whey protein, but it's super easy for the label because it literally only has one ingredient in it, and that's the whey protein. That's so awesome. It makes it super easy for the labeling as well as it's a super clean, um, super clean and, and uh, uh, high-quality uh, protein powder as well. And then there's just a few more like powdered milk, freeze-dried, raspberry and blueberry, yes, and a little maple sugar, sea salt, cinnamon, vanilla powder, and you have an asterisk that says certified organic ingredient. That's great. So the total calories of this breakfast is 660. That's outstanding because that's only four ounces. That's a lot of calorie per ounce. That's like that's right where we want to be. That's in that sweet spot. Uh huh. You know, and that's and that's dry. So wet, it probably ends up being more like a pound of food. Exactly. To be honest with you, you're so. gonna feel full when you consume. Yeah, this. it's a it's a good it's a good solid bag. Of, you know, it's not like eating just regular instant oatmeal that pretty much just has oats and some sugar powder in it. So total grams of fat, and fat does not make you fat. Fat is a great fuel. Is 28 grams. And fat yields the most calories per gram. That's good. Twenty-eight grams. That's a lot higher than most. And I yeah, and a lot of that's from the almonds, almonds and the, the coconut. coconut, which are great fat yeah. sources. Those are fabulous fats. And then the cholesterol zero and the sodium caught my eye at five hundred and thirty milligrams. That's about half, or even more than half, than what you'd find in a mountain house, any mountain house freeze-dried freeze-dried meal. Yeah, and that's a. That's a big thing we wanted to focus on too is like you don't you know the way the way we make um not necessarily the breakfast like those are all you know just dry mix ingredients that we you know blend together and put in a convenient bag um but as far as yeah like the other stuff like the trail mix and stuff and the meals and more stuff that goes through the cooking is have that sodium under control so uh we're doing it in small enough batches where we don't have to have all the extra preservatives that you know say a say a larger company that's doing it on a much more massive scale has to do to make sure that the product stays safe. Um, cause ours is in a much more controlled environment. So we can kind of tailor that a little bit more. Um, and then, yeah, just, just using sea salt, which is all you need really. So the total carbohydrates is 61.5 grams. So we're getting over 60 grams of carbs and then you can subtract 14 of those cause it's dietary fibers, 14. Mm-hmm. So your, uh, bowel movements are going to be on point. And then um, total sugars, 18 grams and 28 grams of protein, which is outstanding. So I'm really, I'm really, you know, digging the macronutrients. Um, do we know yeah. the, the ratios or do I need to calculate them real quick? I don't really know the ratios. I just kind of had an idea of where, you know, I wanted the fat, sodium, carbs and protein to land in. And then obviously kind of keeping the the sugars to, you know, somewhat of a minimum, which, you know, a lot of that's from the freeze dried fruit and then the maple sugar, which is a good, you know, good, clean, um, alternative to your just standard, like white sugar. So I didn't ratio it out. It's just, it's I just got kind it. of the, I just the recipe. It. I bet. Oh, you did it. They're He's good, quick, man. They're good ratios. So your oh, macros <laughs> would be 38% fat, 
36% carb and 26%, and those are plus or minus 26% protein. So pretty well balanced. You know, a mountain Sweet. house, generally those macros are going to be, you know, somewhere between 60%, 70% carbs. The protein's going to be, you know, 10, 15%, and the fat would be the same. I like your uh-huh. macronutrient ratios way better, and I like the fat sources. So just going over your breakfast options, these two, the strawberry mango, which is obviously you're using dried strawberries and mangoes versus the, uh-huh. the blueberries and the raspberries. So, dude, these look great. I Taste and all that kind of stuff matters to a lot of people. For me, it's more about the quality and, and what I'm putting in because anything's going to taste good to me when I'm elk hunting, honestly. so Yeah, it can for sure. Sure. So, so um, no, that's cool. Yeah, I would have sent you a couple more flavors, but I think that's all we we had at the time. I snuck those out to you real fast. We're in the process of moving, so we were oh, we were out of a couple other flavors. Okay. <laughs> well, let's move on to um, the rise and grind cereal. Yep. This one's got 810 calories, and if this is right, I'm excited. 59 grams of fat. Uh huh. 47 grams of so, carbs. 26 grams of protein. So your macros are going to be a little bit, I mean, the protein percentage is going to go down, but the fat percentage is going to go up. And obviously and the carbs, carbs, carbs go down a little, you know, quite a bit, I guess you'd say, but um, still that's a that's plenty of good carbs. Yeah. Staying great, yeah. high energy, high octane, great fuel for the hunt, um, which is your guys's hashtag. Yeah. And that's a great, that's a grain free option too. So that's kind of another one, you know, I used to just take trail mix and add protein powder to it and, that's throw it in a Ziploc bag and add cold water to it and plow it down in the morning and call it a day. So that's kind of, you know, that's just our trail mix with, you know, I like adding the, you know, I like adding the powdered milk, um, the powdered milk to it. And then, uh, it just kind of cuts the, uh, sometimes cuts the whey flavor a little bit, a little bit extra a little DIY tip too, um, for you guys making your own. If you like, if you can do milk and like powdered milk, um, uh, that's why we add that in there because it just cuts the flavor a little bit. But that's cool. That's cool. So we side got, note: we got some dinner options in here, and I don't have nutrition labels on these ones, so you'll have to help me. But again, no, nope, those are brand new. Oh, okay. Well, we got expiration dates again. That's a plus for me. And then the <laughs> ingredients are totally bomb. We got OG Bison Chili, and that OG stands for, I assume, Original Gangster. That or the off off grid, you know, we'll go either or. So I think you guys should switch it to original gangster. I'm just, I was joking, but yeah, man, let's go through the ingredients of this like bad it. boy. Any idea on the calories for this dinner? That one is about, I think seven. It's in the seven twenties. Good. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, just kind of a good classic uh, chili recipe, which is, which is pretty pretty awesome. Um, so that one, yeah, it's got. Let me pull up my little. Got a spreadsheet here while you're doing that i really like the idea that i could get about 1500 to 1600 calories from breakfast and dinner with you guys and then it's Mm -hmm. my job to make my homemade trail mixes and whatnot and eat some of your jerkies and some other protein bars throughout the day and try to backfill hopefully at least another 2400 calories i I try to hit 3000 calories a day which is still not enough to keep my body weight up. I only weigh a buck fifty-five, buck sixty. I try to actually put on weight yeah. as much as I can before fall, but I, I usually come out in October first, weighing a buck forty-five, no matter what. It's just it is what it is. But I try uh-huh. to mitigate as much 
at, you know, muscle loss and atrophy through, you know, I'm not lifting when I'm elk hunting, I'm hiking and I'm burning yeah. fat all day. And so I try to backfill about 2,400 calories from bars and trail mixes and, you know, oils, adding extra oils and things like that in there. Uh, but this is good. Now the ingredients, canned tomatoes, ground bison, pinto beans. I mean, this is delicious. We got yellow bell peppers, jalapeno, garlic. Yep, roasted peppers. Yes. Everything in here, I know what it is. That's, a, that's an important thing when you're reading food labels. And the, late, and the ingredients are not, you know, small print, a bunch of garbage, a bunch of processed stuff or sweeteners. <laughs> so yeah. kudos to you guys. What are we looking at as far as protein, carb, fat for that one-ish, if you got uh, it? The, yeah, the chili, it's like um, – 35 grams of protein, um, about 26 grams of carbs. That one's a pretty low carb, um, dinner option. There's not a whole lot, uh, beans in there. Um, so just kind of trying to keep a good option for a whole lot of, you know, different dietary preferences or whatever you want to call it. So, um, and then fat is in the twenties on that one as well. It looks like 23, um, and then, uh, what else did I miss on that one? We're trying to keep all the sodium, um, kind of in that, you know, 500 to 650 milligram level for all the, for all the meals, um, as well. And then it's just kind of a baseline trying to keep them all over 700 calories. And then, you know, some of the, you know, some of those will vary a little bit too. Like the Thai green curry with quails got a bunch of coconut milk in it, um, which obviously, you know, jacks that fat and calorie content um yes well over a pretty you know over a thousand calories i think it's almost 1100 um and that one's got more like you know 50 grams of fat in it Um, and these are all these are all freeze-dried too which is cool because you can do a lot more fats and you can do a lot more um like dairy products uh cheeses and stuff like that um than you would be able to with a dehydrator um it's a little more difficult and it's easier to mess up. Um, but I, I feel like you got a little bit more variety with it. Um, and, and there's pros and cons to both. So, you know, they both serve a, a great purpose and, and one's not better than the other, but that's why I like, um, that's why I went freeze dried. Um, so we can have a little more variety. So how in the hell did you guys figure out to get quail as your protein source? And I have no, I mean, I think it's genius and we all know this, the less legs the animal has, the probably the better it is for you. So fish is kind of like what we tell our athletes, get the fishes in, <laughs> eat your chicken, your poultry, apparently quail, and then work your way down to wild game. And then if you have to go beef or pork, okay, yeah, that's yeah. kind of our hierarchy that we, you know, profess. Um, how the, the hell legs. did you guys, funny. yeah. How the hell did you come up with quail or how'd you get a hold of that resource? Um, both out of, I guess, uh, partially preference and then partially necessity as well. So, um, to do beef, chicken, or pork, you got to have as a packaged good, you got to have, you know, a USDA grant of inspection, which is expensive and would basically require us building out a full, um, kitchen that would be exclusive and, and suitable to do that. So, um, we can do it at the state level with, uh, quote unquote exotic meats like the bison and the quail. Yep. So both that's the necessity part. And then at the end of the day, um, you know, with the quail, it comes from Texas. Um, it is, it is farm, but it's from a super clean, um, facility and a, and a, you know, ethically minded, um, supplier. Um, and we just, we get it from down there and then the, uh, 
the bison comes from um, North Dakota, and same kind of thing. It's all grass. The bison's all you know, 100% grass fed. Um, they actually go out and they have a sharpshooter that harvests the bison in the field. So it's about as close as you can kind of get to, you know, a truly kind of wild um, meat like it's meant to be where, you know, in its historic range, kind of eating what it's meant to eat. And it turns out a better product for you. So the protein guaranteed, guaranteed. Yeah, higher quality, you know, that's yeah, awesome. it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. So both necessity and, um, you know, it's got its perks on the side as well from, you know, choosing to go that route. So, and you got some other dinner options. What are they? Yeah, we've got a, uh, so we've got right now, we just ended our first round of pre-orders. We sold out of those and then we're going to launch another one soon. Um, so we, we had a chili, um, that chili you just talked about. And then we had a penne, a penne pomodoro with bison, which is just kind of like a classic, you know, Italian, Italian food, baby meat sauce, you know? So, and that's, you know, it's got noodles, so it's got a little more carbs, but they're good. You know, they're corn and they're quinoa and corn flour, uh, penne noodles. Um, so trying to kind of, you know, keep some different, you know, healthier options than your standard, uh, you know, enriched flour, wheat flour type of stuff. That's huge for uh, guys. If, and then we got to stop there and talk about that for a second. Yeah, so for sure. Quinoa is going to break down a lot slower. So you're going to have a steady release of carbohydrates, which are going to break down into eventually sugars. You're not going to have an insulin spike. You don't want to spike yeah. insulin. Insulin is the thing that your body releases from the pancreas that tells your body to take sugar out of the blood and put it into things. And then it's got an opposite hormone called glucagon, that you that is very active when you're hiking and hunting and that is telling your body to take things out of cells and put it in the bloodstream so you can get going and fueling and when you're consuming these things we want sustained energy so we want foods that break down slow and have that steady release so we don't spike any hormones and when you're eating you're trying to manipulate hormones and i just really got excited when i saw quinoa versus like you said enriched flour and I think yeah. there's enough studies out there to show that it's just a way, way cleaner item to have in your food. Yeah, I think so. And I'm so glad that you were um, much more prepared to explain it in, uh, from a nutrition standpoint than I was. Like, I'm not a nutritionist. So these are all stuff that, uh, you know, some of them are, you know, old recipes like that Pomodoro sauce is a, you know, passed down old recipe from my aunt that you know is super good and it's a hard good hearty sauce and then we just kind of changed up and put the quinoa corn you know noodles in there and it's you know for me from my perspective developing it was just what made me feel better yeah um, so i'm glad you were able to explain it in a way that's you know, more uh from the nutrition side because that's you know just to be clear that is not my my background you know my background is food and, and hunting i'm not a nutritionist so well i'm, I'm not glad a- uh you're confirming some of what uh <laughs> what we're trying to do here from my novice uh, nutrition. Well, I am definitely not a dietitian either. I do have (laughs) extensive background in exercise phys and, you know, some biochem and some nutrition classes through undergrad and graduate school. I mean, I've done and I'm not an endocrinologist. I don't, but I do know that eating and hormones and exercise and hormones all play a part and sleep and all that is just, it's all part of this balance. We're trying to figure out how to eat For well, sure. perform well. Cause at the end of the day, we just want to hunt our asses off because there's not that many hunting days in the calendar. So we there's got, not. It, it sucks, but we got two more items I want to go over. You got your beef jerky and then we got your, um, off grid mountain fuel, off trail mix. So 
Tell us about yeah. your trail mix. Tell us about your beef jerky options. Um, you know, both of those kind of stick to the uh, clean ingredients, um, kind of low, you know, low sodium, clean sugars kind of um, goal that we're shooting for with all the products. Um, but yeah, the uh, you know the trail mix is super good. It's uh, you know almond and pumpkin seed base, and it's got some coconut and dried cherries and a little um, you know good dark chocolate. Um, in there as well uh and then just a little honey and a little sea salt and it's kind of we kind of bake it so it's almost more it's not like a loose trail mix it's kind of almost a you know comes out as a bar and then we break it into almost clusters and and put it in the bag so it's kind of a different take on your normal um trail mix but it's super good and then we've got a uh a new one of those that'll be out hopefully (laughs) mid-august um if all goes as planned, a blueberry cashew one that's kind of the same base. And oh, then, uh, my goodness. Two of my favorites. Mm-hmm. In one. Okay, yeah. that's good. So your jerky, what makes your jerky different than maybe the jerky I could buy at the gas station? Yeah, so wanted to keep that. You know, you go buy a bag of jerky at the gas station, and usually you've got to buy a bottle of water to go with it. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. got – it's just got that salt content that uh, – is is through the you know through the roof um so i wanted to really make a clean you know clean ingredient based jerky that you know kept the sodium really under control but didn't kind of lack flavor um and so that's the only thing that we don't make ourselves um just due to the licensing it's super you know if you gotta if you want to make your own jerky you gotta kind of commit and go uh go full send on, on just doing jerky. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a little company that makes it for us. It's my recipe. And then they put it through the whole approval process with the USDA and, yep. and make it for us. Um, so yeah, you know, our, our jerky, I'm looking at, actually was eating a bag right before I got on the phone with you. You know, the big thing to look at in our jerky is got, you know, the sodium, it's got 110 milligrams per serving and there's three servings per bag. So, so that is yeah, definitely yeah. about half of what you get from a gas station. Lower than half, I would say, by yeah. far. Um, some of those, you know, just gas station bags of jerky can have, you know, 1,800, 2,000 gram, milligrams of sodium in there. And then um, we there's no soy in, uh, in the jerky, so I wanted to kind of keep the, you know, inflammatories to a minimum. Um, it's just basically got honey, pineapple juice, um, a little vitamin C and vitamin E as preservatives, maple syrup, um, some balsamic vinegar, spices, uh, all pretty much, you know, good, clean ingredients. Um, the, the salt level is low, so there is a tiny bit, um, of a sodium preservative in there. Um, but that just allows us to keep that lower number. Um, low and, and keeping it safe as well. So it's pretty, it's minimal enough to where it's not gonna, not gonna hurt you there. So So your guys' business model is to do pre-orders only? Um, no, we just launched, um, you know, most of the stuff is available online. Um, right now we are out, like I said, we're out of a couple flavors of stuff right now, kind of getting moved into our new facility. Um, and then we did, uh, a pre-order on the meals for the first round. And then we're going to launch um, more meals here soon. Probably, I'd like to, if I can get them all done in time, would like to just launch it as small batches in stock on the website, kind of right before all the elk seasons kick off, and have you know a limited amount on there that's ready to ship as soon as it's available on the website, rather than making people wait 
Um, but yeah, we did just, we kind of, we had a super good first round of pre-orders and we're, uh, we're working on those kind of as we speak and they're going to get all those out here at the end of the month. Um, and kind of get ready to do it again. And we'll probably, you know, launch, uh, a couple different, you know, menus, so to say that have different meals every time and kind of get some good feedback and hopefully have a, you know, a good solid offering dialed in for uh, full-time availability by next, by next, you know, spring or summer. So okay. that's kind of the, so kind of talk, the short-term plan. Let that. me talk to like your price points as far as like, like, do you have like a package or kit of food you buy and what do you get in that type of thing? Yeah, I, I did that for the first round of meals just to make it, you know, kind of our first dive into doing those at a, on a commercial run, make it easier and more manageable. Um, and so those were all kind of priced at 14 bucks a piece. Um, and then moving forward, we will have some that, you know, it's just, it's kind of, you know, I kind of have to price it based on what goes into it. So yeah, on the next, next round of meals, I've got like a Mac and cheese with shredded bison. So it's got those corn and quinoa noodles, you know, super clean cheese sauce. And then like, uh, you know, kind of like a barbacoa spiced, uh, shredded bison and that. So that one is something that's a lot more simple than say like the, the Thai green curry, which has a lot more fresh vegetables and stuff in it. So some of those are going to be priced a little bit differently than the others as we kind of launch different types of meals. So it's really kind of like, you know, I was listening to a podcast earlier with John Barclow and from sick gear. And he was like, you know, we kind of build a kind of, kind of Raymond, we kind of built, he says, we build a product and then set a price and see if we can take that to market rather than try and price a product before it's built and make it fit within those parameters. So I'm going to, you know, try and, you know, make, make a variety of meal offerings that can appeal to, you know, uh, different wallet levels, so to say, or, or have a different price point kind of based on what's in them rather than just having it all be one um one similar price because i do want to have some that you know do you know can compete with some of the other options on there um you know regardless of whether what's in them but um at the end of the day yeah it is you know it's got premium ingredients in it and it's probably going to end up costing on average a little more than you know your standard uh outdoor store offerings um but at the end of the day like there's a couple choices out there um, that'll give you a better bang for your buck and, and that's where we're trying to fit in. So, okay. That makes sense. All right, let's switch gears. We're going to finish with what I like to call, and I don't get to do this to everybody, but some best business practices, you know, I'm always preaching that dudes go, dudes <laughs> and ladies go into their own business and, um, yeah. so they can work a hundred hours a week so they don't have to work 40 for someone else, but then you can take time off to go hunting and hope that your business is there when you get back. <laughs> Uh, but yep. so are you, do you own off grid by yourself? I do. Yep. It's just, just, uh, just us. So all right. Trying to, uh, trying to keep it that way and grow in a manner that allows that. So that's the, that's the current situation and the goal for the future. What was be, the turning uh, point or the trigger? Usually it's an emotional response that you're like, that's it. I'm going for this. Like what? Tell us about that. Yeah, I was actually, um, I was guiding, uh, here in Washington and it was, I can't remember if it was muzzleloader season or rifle season. I think it was muzzleloader season and, uh, 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 the uh, client and I were sitting down having lunch and 
you know, I had packed a you know bag of trail mix and made a bunch of jerky, and you know they had seen me eating these mysterious bags of oatmeal every morning while uh, they were you know well they were getting ready or whatever after they'd eaten their eggs and bacon and stuff. So um, you know we were sitting there, and he's like, well, you know, you're telling me you kind of don't really have a plan for work after this guide season's done, and you know you're telling me all these options you could do. He and you know you're telling me you know you like food and you like this hunting. So he's like, who's, you know, who's making this type of stuff. And we kind of sat there and had, you know, a couple hour conversation over it you know, over lunch. And he's like, well, you know, this whole thing kind of developed right there, which is really, you know, kind of cool to me that it developed kind of in the elk woods. And he, you know, that, that gentleman kind of talked me, uh, talked me into it right there. And it kind of snowballed into, um, you know, a tangible form way faster than I expected. So, dude, I think that's cool. uh, So long story short, that's kind of how it happened. I mean, growing pains. Have you guys experienced those quite a bit? Yes. Right now. Okay, cool. (laughs) Like I I mentioned, we're moving into a new spot. So, um, we're going to have a lot more, uh, ability to keep stuff in stock more consistently. Um, yada, yada, all that good stuff. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely a new realm um for me as far as the the, the business side of it goes but it's a lot of fun and, and learning a lot every day and you know uh trying to make smart decisions definitely so you guys are moving into a bigger location that's always good you were forced to grow you gotta you know that's always good were you out of your garage first no you know well kind of so i had uh you know i've got some shipping and uh storage stuff in a you know in a, in a shop at my house and then um, we work, uh, we've got a commercial kitchen space in town that, you know, we lease and it's a shared, uh, it's a shared commissary kitchen. Yep. Um, so we got, you know, some food truck guys there, some caterers, a couple of bakers, um, a couple of hot sauce companies, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, a whole variety of people that use that kitchen on and off. Um, and there is another guy and I, um, who were start you know, using it more, um, consistently and, and starting to take up some more time in there and it ended up that the space next door which is actually the other half of the building and um, that the tenants were moving out and became available so um, we kind of hopped on that and are just kind of making it an add-on space to the existing uh, commercial kitchen that is there um, which makes it both convenient um, to make that move um, and uh, yeah should allow us to uh, like I said, keep some more stuff in stock a little more regularly, um, and be able to kind of just kind of keep the keep the growth plan on on track as far as production capability goes. Definitely. So, so were you working exciting. directly with the landlord, or did you have to work with an agency? Um, no, directly with the landlord and all that stuff. So it's been uh, been good so far, and yeah, you know, like I said, we're just uh, just getting everything finished up and moved in there right now. So um, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's always fun to try to negotiate leases and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah. You learn about triple yep. net leases and things you got to pay for. If something breaks, it's on you. Or is it, are they going to do it? Yep, and tenant exactly. improvements and cams and a whole bunch of other crap that sucks. And then you know the whole world of online learning the back end of a, of a website and finding the web guy to do the stuff you can't do. And then shipping. You guys are a shipping company. All of it. People yeah. want to know. 
They want to know instantaneously once they made that order. They want a confirmation <laughs> email. They want to be able to have uh-huh. a link to track it. They want to know when it's coming. And, you know, it's, I mean, everybody's got to elevate their game on that. I mean, was that hard to figure all that out or you just kind of went for it? Yeah, you know, um, yes. So, you know, I, you know, I've worked in a lot of restaurants and stuff like that and, um, and a couple of other, you know, uh, different roles as well, but haven't worked in like, yeah, like a manufacturing, uh, basically haven't been involved in a manufacturing company ever. So yeah, all of that stuff to me, or, you know, basically a web-based business either. So all of that stuff to me was new, um, and just kind of dove, dove into it and made a lot of mistakes. And luckily none of them were, you know, too vital or vital enough. Um, <laughs> luckily I was able to ask or ask a request for help when, uh, when I felt like, you know, it was the point where I needed it. Um, but yeah, I made, made a lot of mistakes learning all that, all that stuff, you know? Um, but, uh, it's not, you know, it's intimidating, but you get the hang of it and then, um, it just kind of becomes routine after a while. So that's yeah. kind of how I looked at it and approached it. Well, you never know. Someone could be listening. They got a really cool idea. They're passionate about it. They have the energy for it. Um, but maybe fear is telling them no, or it's not the right time, but you know, you never know unless you go for it. You don't want to have any regrets. You get to work yeah. like 80% of your life. So might as well enjoy what it is you're doing. And I love working for myself. I'm a pretty good employee. I, uh, you know, my, I'm always clocked in at some point throughout the day, seven days a week when I'm not hunting. Yeah. Uh, and there's always a fire to put out. There's always a new challenge, and your your attitude, your resilience is always tested. Oh and yeah, every I time just, you turn around. <laughs> I know, man. I just love hearing guys that are from same state as me making products that I could potentially use and have better ingredients. Man, I'm really excited about what you guys got going on and. I wish you all the luck in the world and, and keep grinding, man. I'm, I'm really proud of your efforts. Awesome. No, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. And you, you know, you know the deal with all the stuff you've got going on. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work and, uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna keep at it. So as long as everyone keeps giving us good feedback and at the end of the day, keeps buying it, we'll still be here. So <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks for taking the time. You and I chat afterwards, but let's call this uh, episode 30 in the books with Spencer Tripp from Off Grid. Where can people follow you guys? Yeah, um, mainly, you know, we uh, the website is just offgridfood.co. Um, and then we're mostly on Instagram um, at offgridfoodco. And then we've got a Facebook page as well, which is pretty easy to find. But, um, yeah, mostly just uh, the website and Instagram. Um, and, yeah, man, no, thanks for, thanks for having me on. That was a, that was a good chat. And uh, enjoy, uh, enjoyed getting to, to know you a little bit better and, and hearing more about how you look at food things and approach that aspect of your hunts. So that was a blast. Appreciate it. Yeah, man.